0: What's up, everybody? My name is Joshua Stein of the J. Stein Law Firm in Atlanta, Georgia, and welcome to the next episode of Sports and Torts, where each week we sit down with our friends, peers, and colleagues and talk sports, law, and business. My guest today needs no introduction, so I will just say this. He has been one of my best friends since I was five years old. We attended every year of school together from kindergarten at Mount Bethel through law school at UGA. His dance moves deserve their own Twitter account. He can cite any movie line at moment's notice. He can rap any Tone Loke song like Nobody Else on Planet Earth. And he is currently the granola king of Chapel Hill with his company, OBX. Ladies and gentlemen, a member of Walton High School, Class of 97, Hall of Fame, Thomas John Ludlam. My dude, welcome.
1: Thank you. Uh, it's good to be here. And yes, we do go back a long way, Josh, and... Um that puts me in a unique uh, position to say to our listeners here that uh, Joshua Stein is not someone you ever want to be friends with. And let me give you an example of
0: why. Uh, Josh, let's... I, put, I'm starting to sweat a little bit here. I don't, I don't like this.
1: I'll put you in the DeLorean. Let's fire up the flux capacitor and go back to episode one of Sports and Torts.
0: Do you remember episode one? We're going back, what, three months? Episode one. Jason
1: this is This is episode 14, right? Oh, so... Yes, it was Jason Gans, who happens to be my arch nemesis. He gets number one billing out of the gate. And this is what? 14? You, you said madam hard, right? You, on, right you on. said one of your best friends, and this is episode 14. So I guess 14th best friend. Um, <laughs> who lives in Chapel Hill, by the way, out of town. Not only that, but during that same episode with my arch nemesis, he mentioned something. He mentioned me. Do you remember that? You, you, you take up a lot of real estate in his head. Well, I remember him saying that I'm never right about anything. And do you remember your protest to that, your counterargument to that?
0: Did I say something or nothing?
1: No, deafening silence. <laughs> <I> said nothing. <laughs> the third thing that happened on that first episode Man, was- Man, you come out hot. You made a request for me to create a discount code for sports and torts which I did within minutes of listening to the episode. And? S&T 10, 10% off. And you have mentioned that
0: discount code how many times since that first episode? Well, we're about to do it right now. We're about to get big time into this granola.
1: You've mentioned it zero times. Zero times since that first episode. So can I make amends right now? Well, I'm going to say something. I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter about this. I'm going to do something here. I'm not going to cancel the discount code. I'm going to do... We've played blackjack before, right? Yeah, you always kick my ass in it. What do you I, don't, do? I don't play
0: cards you anymore.
1: What do you do on a soft 17 against a dealer 6? What do I do? You're supposed
0: to hit. No. Oh.
1: Soft 17 against a dealer 6.
0: Dealer 6, I let it ride.
1: Double down. Come on. Double down. I'm announcing now we're creating a
0: 20% discount code for sports and Tours. 20% discount to- code. You've heard, it, you've heard it right here from the mouth Stein,
1: of the man. Stein20. S-T-E-I-N-20 on our website for 20% off.
0: Well, let's tell these folks what they're going to be getting then. Right? right? I mean, uh, that's that's a lot of what I want to talk to you about today. We've got, uh, you came down from Chapel Hill. That is now where you live, which explains why it took 14 episodes to get you on. Uh, but I appreciate you coming in town because I told you I don't want to do this virtually. I want to get together and do this. So here we are. Um, you brought with you several different, your, your three different kinds of the granola. We've got cinnamon pecan, cranberry, and then we've got Honey Sea Salt.
1: That's right. Um, And of course, I'm kidding. Of course, you are one of my best friends. We were in each other's wedding. Um, Very happy to be here and and honored to be chosen. Your dance moves are legendary, by the way. Well, that's... How many pairs of pants have you split along (laughs) the way? Uh, There there have been at least three undergarments um, and also at least two slacks and a pair of shoes I, I de-sold. You did. You I, I did dance, de-sold this dance, shirt, dance right, out of, dance well, right out of. Well, that's your granola. Shoes.
0: That's your granola, man. Cinnamon pecan. Is what I'm eating. Um, we can't. We can't order the house because Graham's got an allergy to pecans. So I was excited to get it today. Cranberry has always been my favorite.
1: Well, yes. So we do have. We have three kinds. They're all um, kind of a, a b- baked-in trail mix almost. So they all have uh, a, a great deal of nuts. Uh, they all have seeds also in them. Uh, it's not just your, your basic oat granola. Um, you mentioned cinnamon pecan. Uh, there's definitely a lot of debate on whether to say pecan or pecan. I tend to know my audience and decide yeah. which one to use depending on what, what part you're, of the country you're I'm in. Or there you go. Here in Georgia, I think you say pecan. Um, uh, Zach Brown would say pecan pie. Pecan pie. One of, one Several of songs.
0: songs. Yes. Um, so Shout yeah, out so, Jimmy Demartini who's listening to this.
1: Indeed. Indeed. So cinnamon pecan is uh, probably our sweetest flavor. It's uh, almost a dessert granola. It does very well on ice cream, uh, certainly well in yogurt as well.
0: So I enjoy your granola either by itself or with um, yogurt. That's, that's what I typically do. I put it in as a topping in yogurt, but you said ice cream is what a lot of people do. Like as a dessert.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think the cinnamon pecan, pecan, whichever one you want to say, uh, does very well with ice cream. It also, we've actually done it in uh, a salad before. So a strawberry salad, put some greens, some strawberries, some balsamic and, uh, that's cinnamon pecan.
0: All right, so you just sold this very well. The picture's going to show how delicious it, it is. I've said on this podcast numerous times it's the best girl in the business. So I need some credit for that. I did a small business shout-out for you about a year or two ago. Also talked about it being the best girl in the business. So give me a little slack, dude. I'm trying to trying to push your message out. I'm, I, I, I'm trying to let everybody get a, get a bite of this. Indeed,
1: no no question about it. And I do appreciate the free pub you've given us. It's uh, taken us uh, you know from just a little small hobby almost into,
0: you know, very exciting, uh, growing business. Well, I do want to talk all about how you got there because it's a fascinating story, but I first want people who don't know you, there'll be a few out there. Most everybody does know you. Uh, but for the people that don't give a little background, like I said, we grew up together, uh, Marietta, but talk about kind of where you came from and what you're doing.
1: Sure. So I was actually born in New Jersey. Uh, My dad moved us down here right before we met. When I was about five, right before kindergarten, um, so I don't remember a whole lot of living there, and I, I think I've got a little bit of a Southern accent since then. Maybe
0: not. I don't maybe, hear you. it. Never heard anything Jersey out of your mouth.
1: Non non regional accent. I'm, I'd be good for for newscasting um, or podcast guesting. Yeah, right. So we we grew up in East Cobb, which is you know a very nondescript suburb. We had a movie theater in Chili's and uh, a lot of great. Great friends. We grew up in a in a neighborhood with about ten guys our age, um, all of whom were fun to hang out with, good people, and we would hang out at somebody else's house every day and um,
0: get into hijinks and mischief. And- Such a unique situation. We, all, we, we always talk about how fortunate that we we are or you know were and are to grow up in that kind of environment where literally on two streets was like you said, ten of our very closest friends, house to house, bounce around, leave in the morning, come back at night. Um, You know, it was great. I mean, we got in some trouble along the way, which that tends to happen, you know. But uh, the memories are great. We still, you know, Jason Mullen, Rob Ebel, you know, all those guys were still all very, very close, friendly with. So it's just awesome. Um, Your your parents, you know, legendary folks, Harv and Barb, all of our parents. Just it's just it was just great.
1: Yeah, I think that's especially true that we we've not only stayed great friends. With the guys our age, but also with everybody's parents, we're all very close with them, and you know it's been fun to finally drink with them (laughs) instead of hiding from them.
0: We we uh, I mean we always laugh about this when we were in our early twenties and we'd be out in Buckhead and it'd be midnight, one o'clock in the morning, and we'd be like, "We're calling Harv," you know, (laughs) me and Jason and Rob, and and because your number seven seven zero nine seven three nine seven three one is the easiest number ever to remember. And we just call him. He'd be like, what are y'all doing? It's 12 o'clock at night. Why are you calling me?
1: He would always uh, take the but call. He would
0: always pick, and he told you, he's like, I kind of look forward to those guys calling me.
1: <laughs> That's true. That's, it's, it's good stuff. You, uh, guys, you guys called him more than I did in those days.
0: We did. We did. Um, and then obviously we went to Walton High School. You played football there.
1: I did. I, I played football. I ran track. Uh, I was actually on the diving
0: team. You were, I didn't know that. <laughs> you are on the diving year? team? Yes. Yeah, I, so I know that.
1: You, I think you're still very good friends with Jessica Eaton now, yes, Jessica right. Johnstone, who is a world-class diver, a uh, scholarship diver at Notre Dame. Our senior year, um, she was looking for basically some warm bodies to put on a Speedo and, and go off a high dive. Do we so. have pictures
0: of you in a Speedo because I've never seen that.
1: <laughs> I don't know that there are any pictures left and i, I I hope not, but uh, but I did. I got a, a varsity letter in diving.
0: No idea, Jessica. If you're listening, we've got we need to find some pictures of this back in the day. Now I don't want to embarrass you, but you did okay in high school. You did okay with your grades. Your um your, your, uh, boards were okay too, and your in your testing. So you had lots of options coming out of high school. Um, you chose UGA. We went to college together as well. But you know, if you feel comfortable, talk about kind of your thought process leaving Walton and starting a college career sure
1: so yeah i mean i'm i'm proud of of working very hard in high school and you know took as many hard classes as i could i took a lot of ap courses and um you know a lot of that is is comes from my mom uh kind of motivating us and she's the smartest person i know and
0: the smartest love them of them all
1: indeed no question about it um so yeah so i i had a a very good record coming out and um you know i did get into whatever school I could, I wanted to apply to. I actually only applied to two because I got into Harvard.
0: Okay. Um, You're in a safe space. You can say, we like, we like to talk about humble brags on this show. I think it's a humble brag. It's true.
1: Well, so it's an interesting story about my, my Harvard, um, application. Cause I, there were a lot of, Walton was a great school, still is. And there were a lot of kids in our class that applied to Harvard. Many got in. Um, I say many,
0: you know, handful. a ha- handful. Handful. Yeah. Um, but I'm still enjoying everybody that's. this, uh, that would be extra roll-off.
1: Indeed, indeed. So I'd heard they were getting their interviews, and I was like, "Well, where's my interview?" I, you know, I'm right there, pretty with good. Them. Like, where's my interview? And called them up, and they had lost my application. It was somewhere oh. between the seats, somewhere. No, no one
0: puts T. Love in the corner like that. Come on
1: now. <laughs> and and so they like very whirlwind, um, quickly scheduled an interview with uh, a lovely, you know. O- older lady in Buckhead, uh, who's an alumna of Harvard. And, uh, we talked about nothing academic, just had a nice conversation. And, and sure enough, I got in, but, um, but yeah, so I, I, I did choose Georgia over Harvard
0: Which and we're all very happy that you did at the time. We weren't trying to push you one way or the other. You got to make your own decisions, you know, but deep down, we're like, come on, dude, Georgia, Georgia, Georgia.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it sounds like it, it, it may not be, um, a tough decision. There, you might think, "Oh, you know, Ivy League is going to open a lot of doors, and you know, why wouldn't you go to Harvard?" But I, I was actually awarded a scholarship to Georgia called the Foundation Fellowship, which um, really uh, I think is the best college experience out there um, across the country. It, you know, there's a lot of a lot of state schools kind of have this kind of program. Uh, Virginia has the Jefferson Scholars. UNC in Chapel Hill, where I live, has the Moorhead Kane Scholars. Very similar programs uh, to keep kind of the top talent in the in the state schools. Um, Georgia's, in particular, had a lot of travel components to it, so that really attracted me. I kind of felt like I've, if I went to Harvard, they would sort of bring the world to me. You know, the best professors in the world talking about these wonderful places and, and wonderful concepts. But if I came to Georgia with the Foundation Fellowship, I could go out go and them. see the world.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned something about the, the connections, the doors that we opened at Harvard. I think the opposite has been true. I think that the connections you made at Georgia to this day, um, it amazes me how many people you know and what your, your network is like. And that's from all the different stuff you did at Georgia, starting with the, the Foundation uh, Fellowship Program at IFC, big involved in your fraternity, like living in Georgia. And you live in North Carolina now, but lived here for a long time. Um, that's, a, that's a great place to be.
1: No doubt, no doubt, and uh, yeah, I I think certainly living in the state of Georgia after school, living in the South, um, coming to a state school, you know, you you get to know if you do leadership things, if you if you work hard and you, you're out there um, involved, you know, the folks we knew from undergrad who are, who are now you know business owners, politicians, uh, you know, judges, we we you know we just had. Uh, our tailgate at the national championship and had a superior court judge and a Georgia Supreme court judge came to see us at the tailgate. Right. Um, so yeah, I think there's, there's a lot that you can experience at a state school as far as interconnections and, and really, uh, figuring out how the real world
0: works um, that you not can't get. to mention get. you'd be national champions. <laughs> and we are which, national which we are currently national champions. Harvard's not winning any national titles anytime soon.
1: No, no, indeed. And that, and that was also a big pull. I mean, I'm you know, a big sports fan, big football fan, obviously. I actually, actually tried to
0: walk on at Georgia football team. I was going to ask you to team. talk about uh, that a little bit. How, how was that experience?
1: It was, it was certainly interesting. So um, David Barron, who's a good friend of, of yours, our, our uh, classmate from Walton, also walked on at Alabama mm-hmm. um, and we sort of worked out together in the summer leading up to those walk-on tryouts um, where I was excited for him when he, when he actually made the team and, and um, did great things uh, there. For me, I, I got to try on the uniform in the locker room, awesome. which, was, which was a thrill. Uh, I got to run the forty. And the coaches laughed at my 40 time. What was it? Remember?
0: <laughs> no, I don't remember. It was one of the assistants. Did, did, did you beat Jordan Davis's 478 he just put up? Not even close.
1: <laughs> Not even close, which is why they laughed at it, obviously. Um, but then, then I had a physical and they said I would need surgery on my shoulder. I had some injuries from high school ball. Um, and I said, you know what, guys? You're right about my 40 time. I'm a 180 pound slow white guy. I'm gonna see you guys on
0: Saturdays. I'll I'm out I'll be in the stands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you had a great high school football career, so you were a good player.
1: Well, we we had a lot of fun, and it's uh, I think it's the best sport there is. Ultimate team game. Um, you know, nothing nothing happens unless everybody does their job. And
0: yeah, I never I never played football. Uh, my son plays now, and he seems he, he he enjoys it. But I never put the pads on. Never put the helmet on.
1: You know it, it's um it's. It's a tough question, especially now with all the concussions and CTE. I don't know if I'm going to be able to convince my wife that my kids are going to be allowed to play, but I, I, I want them to.
0: Your, your, your sons are the same age as my children. At that age, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh grade, they're not hitting that hard yet. They're not running that fast yet. It's, my thought process was kind of like let them get it out of their system, you know, when they're not big enough to really do, do any damage. But there's no right or wrong answer. Um, back to your, um, the, the program you're involved in, because you have stepped foot in all seven continents a lot as a result of that program,
1: yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, it, it, I I actually hit six of the seven before before graduating undergrad.
0: Um, the, All six through that program, then, right?
1: Yes. So, it, you know, we live in one of those six, but I did actually travel to. Now, that was an easy one to check <laughs> off, huh? Well, well, yes, but I did travel to South to Central America uh, with the program. So, the way it was set up is each spring break, uh, the the group would go together to, to some destination. And then there were three other kind of larger travel opportunities. Um, So the spring breaks we had the first year was Greece. Uh, We traveled around Greece. We went to Athens, obviously we went to Olympia, had a foot race. That's Dana's number one place to go right now is Greece. Oh, it it was, it was pretty amazing. There was actually a freak snowstorm when we were there and we had a, uh, a, a snowball fight in the ruins of uh, of Delphi, just your standard Tuesday, <laughs> right? Um, and then uh, the next year we went to uh, Thailand. Actually, uh, got to do some scuba diving off Phuket. You, you do have to pronounce that right. S P. It's, it's P H U K
0: E T. Phuket. Phuket.
1: Uh, then the third spring break was Argentina and Uruguay. And then the last year
0: we went to Costa Rica. So kids, if you're out there listening, study hard, work hard in school, and you too can have this kind of a college career. Maybe, right? Maybe,
1: yes. (laughs) I think the program has actually grown since since I was there. It was it grew quite a bit for my class. I think before us it was a handful each year, five, six. Uh, My class was fourteen, based on a a big grant uh, or or bequest. From uh, Bernard Ramsey, who's also the namesake of the Ramsey Center, uh, the the, the uh, yeah student uh, fitness center at Georgia. I actually got to meet his widow. Yeah, um, wonderful lady, and you know thank her for all these wonderful opportunities. Um, and so the big the big trips. Our first year as a freshman class, the 14 of us went to Tanzania for about two months. Uh, the first month was kind of more educational, I guess, uh, in, a, in a more formal sense. We went to uh, the U.S. Embassy, we went to different economic development uh, agencies, went to a farm, we went to uh, a woman's center, uh, learned a lot about developing nation. And then the second half of the trip was, was more nature focused. So we did sort of the traditional safari, we went to Ngorongoro Crater, we climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. Um, so
0: it was, uh, pretty incredible. Yeah. That that's on my list again, Dana also would like to do that safari, which I I agree all these places that she wants to go to that you've been. Um, hell yeah. It's awesome. Yeah,
1: it was very special and you know, very close with, with some of the folks from that group too. I think, uh, you, you, you know, Kyle Wingfield, uh, he's one of my best friends and worked for, uh, the AJC for quite a while. And now he's, he's doing a, a think tank for the Republican party and, uh, you know, we, we did all, all seven of our trips, so the four spring breaks and then our three uh, bigger trips we did together, uh, the two of us. So Tanzania, after our freshman year, then our, after our sophomore year, we, we did a stu- summer study abroad in Spain. And uh, actually went to Pamplona when the the running of the Bulls. Bulls, We didn't run. They threatened to to send us home. There was a guy, an American student who had died the year before. Don't be a wuss, dude. Get out there, run with them. Come on. You know, it was the beginning of the trip. And if I was going to get sent home, you know, two weeks in, They've uh, yeah. been the last day. I wasn't Maybe gonna the roll day. the dice. That, so we'll we'll go.
0: We'll, we'll go. Sounds good. It's Sounds back, good.
1: back on the bucket list to go actually run.
0: There you go. Well, you went from undergrad and then we went you went to law school at Georgia. Yes. We we both did. Which I don't even remember if we really talked about like in real time that happening. Um I don't really I really don't remember how all that went down. No, you know, I, I your actually, brother your brother was already there in law school, right?
1: Yes. And that's one of the main reasons I went. So I I really didn't know what I wanted to be. I actually was pre-med for a long time.
0: You were a Latin major for a minute. Was, Maybe, a, no, was, you graduated
1: with Latin. I graduated with, with, a, with a Latin, Latin, Latin degree, Latin degree um, which certainly helped some in law school. But you know, the, for me, the real, real reason was it was a way to stay in Athens for another three years. That's why I tell people, too.
0: People are always like, what made you become a lawyer? And they, they're, they're expecting some like great story of inspiration. I was like, I kind of want to stay in Athens for three more years. And the law school seemed like the best option to do that.
1: Yes. And it, you know, it certainly was hard and, you know, we had to study harder than we did in undergrad, but we had a lot
0: of fun. So I would agree with you. Um, My memories of law school is not what some people say about how horrible and of course we studied and worked hard and all that kind of stuff, but I have very fond memories. We had a great class. We had a great group of friends we probably treated it too much like an out like an uh, extension of undergrad, you know. You could afford to do a little more than me in terms of the grades, but it all it all works out. But uh we lived together. I mean, Brian Mathis was one of our best you know, is one of our best friends and you know, I just look back very fondly at, at that time.
1: Yeah, and I, I think the the group that we had is was very very cohesive, very special. Um and I think being at a state school, you may see some, you know, <laughs> more fun personalities than you might see it at kind of the ivory tower type schools.
0: Well, I'm glad we went there. Um, you know, I'm still practicing. It's been great for me, but even though you're not practicing more, we'll get there. It still provides a great foundation just for thinking and just understanding of concepts and all that kind of stuff. So we'll get to that because I want to talk about your experience as a lawyer, which started out as a, at a big firm, right? Which a lot of folks do from these, you know, from law firms or from, from law school.
1: Yes. So I, I was fortunate to have a summer job at a big firm in Atlanta, um, Kilpatrick Stockton. Then it's now uh, Kilpatrick Townsend. And uh, in the summer, uh, between our second and third year, I got to meet who's now my wife. Thank
0: you so much for, for doing this, because my biggest fear was that you're going to go through the whole thing with Kilpatrick. and be like, hey, Tom, make sure you mention meeting your wife there. <laughs> Yes. So thank so, you for not making me have to do that. That's Shout that's out right. to Taylor. Yes, we so, love you, Taylor. Yes,
1: the lovely and talented
0: Taylor Higgins, Lovel- who is Lovel- still there, who's kicking ass there. Yes, she, she, yes. She
1: was a summer there, started there, and is still there. She's, she's now a, a partner and uh, amazing lawyer, did, did really well during the pandemic, had actually some
0: big jury big trials, trials yeah. $100 million in verdicts. Um, she's a beast. Yeah. It's awesome. Now, that, that job wasn't for you, though.
1: No. So I, you know, I certainly um, enjoyed the people there, uh, you know, was making a lot of money um, right out of school, which is kind of silly how much they were paying us. But I, in, in my third year, I'd actually done an internship with the district attorney's office and actually got to try a case before we graduated. Uh, I tried a felony uh, burglary case uh, and kind of caught the bug for, for criminal law, for, for trial work. Uh, I really wanted to get some experience actually trying cases uh, early on in the career. So I left before a year was up. Um, I left Kilpatrick. And, you know, obviously Taylor and I were were starting to get a little serious and it wasn't the best situation to be working for the same firm. But um, so I left and I went to uh, DeKalb County. I worked for Sean LaGrua, who's now
0: a judge um great boss so when you say that you, you went to work for the solicitor's office yes and for, for people that aren't familiar like what does the solicitor's office do
1: so for the bigger counties in georgia um, the prosecutors are split between a solicitor's office and a district attorney's office the solicitors handle just misdemeanors so if any case has has a felony and some misdemeanors the da would handle that if it's
0: just misdemeanors it goes to the solicitor. And office. you're representing the county prosecuting the the folks who committed crimes.
1: Right. And and really what it boiled down to, most of the cases would resolve themselves. I mean, that's the same in civil law. Things are resolved without a trial. What went to trial in the solicitor's office was basically domestic violence and DUI cases. And so I tried a lot of those cases and got a lot of trial work right off the bat, right off the bat. Um, and then after a couple of years there, I, I had an opportunity to go to Gwinnett County to the district attorney's office.
0: Would that, but, be, would that be considered like a promotion going from solicitors to to um, to the uh, D.A.'s office? that kind of the normal track?
1: I thought of not it necessarily. That, I, I certainly thought of it as a, a, a progression of my career. Progressions, there, maybe. there are there are some people who who have their entire career in a solicitor's office and there, that's totally fine. Um, you know, I there was actually a change in the leadership uh my boss uh, Sean Lagrue uh didn't win her election that after those 2 years and it was just a kind of a good break time to try something new and I wanted to get a little bit more serious cases um so it was was great to go to Gwinnett and work for Danny Porter uh for a couple more years and I learned a whole lot from him uh as a manager as well as uh certainly a lot about trial and you prosecuted
0: work. some some fairly big time stuff
1: yeah yeah i mean in, as as an assistant DA, you know, we, we handled everything from, you know, a bad check case. Say somebody writes a bad check for more than $1,000, that's a felony, all the way up through murder cases. And I never tried a murder case, um, but I did work on a few. I worked on a death penalty case,
0: actually wrote an appeal on a death penalty case. I remember you, you called me one day, and you, I think it was a rape case maybe, and you said, I, I just stared evil in the eye right? Yeah. Is that, is that, is that, is, am I telling that right? That's exactly right.
1: Yeah. It gives me chills. Uh, when you mention that right now, um, this was, a, a you know, the, the boogeyman, you know, the, the, the reason why uh, parents are, are worried about what might happen to their kids. This was a, a serial rapist. Um, he, he had one rape in DeKalb County and some one night and then somehow made his way to Gwinnett the next night and raped another woman. Um, these were both stranger rapes, climbing the window kind of thing. Um, Terrifying. And, and those two were tied by DNA to a third rape that had happened uh, out in Conyers. Um, so we, we were, you know, certainly we didn't want this guy ever to see the light of day. We certainly thought it was going to be a trial, and we get up getting ready for a jury selection and his defense attorney leans over and says, he wants to plea. Smart. And, you know, I don't know. It wasn't, we weren't changing the deal. He was getting life in prison and, you know, never to see the light of day, but he,
0: he so How does that feel when you drive home from work that day? I know we talked, but like the, 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 feeling you get that you you literally are protecting society. You just put somebody away. That's a bad, bad dude.
1: <laughs> it certainly felt good. Uh, you know, if, If we had gone forward with the trial, it would have taken a a number of days. I don't think there was any way we were going to lose that one. I mean, he was, he was, she, she was tied up. He fell asleep from a long night of, of raping, uh, which, you know, I hate to say that, but that's, he was tired, Mm -hmm. fell asleep in the bed and she was able to, to wriggle out of the uh, ligatures and call the police. And when the police came, he was still in the bed and had, uh, had gloves on that he'd put on. Um, sort of, you know, doctor's examination gloves. And one of the fingers was torn off of it. And that, that little piece of the finger was found in the bed of the woman in the cab. So it was, you know, we had him dead to rights. But, he you know, he had up to that point said he wanted his trial and, you know, certainly is entitled to it. But uh, yeah, it, it was a relief.
0: Y'all were ready to nail his
1: ass. But. <laughs> it was a relief not to have to go through, you know, a week or two. And certainly a relief for the victims not, to not to, not have right. to testify and, and, you know, see him, face him in court. Um, so yeah, we definitely felt good that that resolved the way it should have. And then
0: after doing that for a few years, you actually went and opened your own firm and did defense work, you know, kind of the, you know, use what you learned prosecuting these cases and now start doing defense.
1: Yeah, and that is a, that is a pretty typical progression um, for folks who do criminal defense. They, they do a few years as a prosecutor at the beginning of their career. Um, It was about the same time my first son was born. Um, I loved being a prosecutor. It doesn't pay. You don't pay well. Very well. Um, So that was one of the main reasons why I left. Um, I did a lot of DUI work on the defense side. That was kind of most of my paid work. I also uh, was on the, the indigent defense list in Gwinnett. They don't have a public defender's office there. Maybe they do now. I don't know. Um, but at that time it was all private lawyers who were on a list and would take.
0: Um, so what's your, what's your tail of the tape then you've done both sides of criminal work. You've seen, you know, you've, you've seen all, all different sorts of scenarios and cases. What's your tail of the tape?
1: So, like I said, I loved being a prosecutor. That's probably my favorite job before the granola came along. Um, because I, I always believed I was on the right side of my case. I you know, as a prosecutor, you have a, a special duty to seek justice, a special duty to the truth, um, not necessarily to get convictions or to get the most serious charge that you could possibly uh, convict somebody of. You have prosecutorial prosecutorial discretion to reduce charges or to really look at the case uh, and, and judge it for yourself on whether the police uh, maybe were overcharging a little bit or maybe they didn't have the evidence that they thought they had or. Um, And then on the defense side, you know, it did open my eyes a bit to the fact that a lot of prosecutors are blinded um, to the full picture of what was going on, what led up to this person committing a crime or, you know, what what uh, what this impact would be on their family um, if they were convicted of the most serious charges or uh, maybe that maybe there was a, uh, you know, false accusation and. Once that prosecution train has
0: left the station, it ain't, ain't turning back. You, I mean, you've always been somebody that is—you know, fair, honest. You know, you, you do believe in the obligation to the truth. So I always thought prosecutor was much more in your wheelhouse um, because you don't play just to win at all costs. You don't. I mean, you're you're going to follow wherever the facts take you to the truth. And as you just said, that's much more the prosecutor's role.
1: Right, and and that's not to say that defense attorneys are, uh, you know putting forward fabricated evidence or, or lying to the court. I, I'm not saying that at all. Um, I think defense bar, criminal defense bar, is, is for the vast majority, um, you know, obviously every every profession has their bad eggs, but they're all very scrupulous and, you know, zealous about their job. A lot of times it's not, um, a lot of times a criminal defense is is trying to suppress evidence, right? So if the police had an illegal search or an illegal stop of the car. Um, You're arguing to judge their constitutional rights were violated and therefore whatever evidence they found after that stop shouldn't come in. And that, and that's sort of how you, you get out of the case, which you can keep the jury from seeing. And then you can present to them say, well, the state doesn't have the evidence to convict. Um, But as a prosecutor, you know that they did it right. And as a defense attorney, you know that they did it as well. And so, you know, obviously, I, I did fight hard for my my clients, but I didn't like it as much as, as being a prosecutor.
0: I hear you. I hear you. Um, I do want to transition, though, to your your current life, uh, because that's what makes me happy now is this granola that you're putting out there. Um, but I will say before I before we go to that, if you ever decide to go back to the law world. We could use some good prosecutors these days, man. Someone like you has a spot in any county or state or federal level to keep keep us all safe. So just keep that in mind, man.
1: I appreciate you saying that. they they do work very hard. A lot of them are are overloaded with uh, high case loads and public defenders as well. Um, a, a lot of of our criminal system uh, could be better funded. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I do love what I'm doing now. So We'll have
0: you back in a couple months and do just the, criminal, the, you know, just, just the criminal system because you've got some great thoughts on how to maybe make it a little better for everybody. But I don't want to spend too much time on that at the expense of this delicious granola, which I'm still crushing, by the way. Every time you're talking, I'm eating with my hand over the mic. Um, so I mentioned earlier that you moved to Chapel Hill. That's where your wife's from. You moved your family there. How many years has it been now? In uh, 12 years, uh, gosh, maybe time, more. Gosh, time goes by fast. You did a few law jobs. We're not going to spend much time talking about that. Not that they weren't important, but um, ultimately, you, know, you and your family uh, started a granola company, OBX. So tell me, re- remind me how all that went down 12 years ago, not 12 years ago, but when it started.
1: Well, you know, growing up together, uh, as you know, I've always been obsessed with granola you know, I was always in the kitchen experimenting with different recipes. Uh, you know, even throughout my law career, that's that's what I was doing. My free time was You're
0: a granola man. That's
1: entirely not true at all. Um it would w- would that be a good story maybe, but no. I, I it's it's really by accident that uh that we we are now uh gourmet granola bakers. I had stepped away from the law for a little bit. We had some uh family issues that kind of needed tending to and I was about ready to get back into something, some sort of job. Um, I applied for some DA jobs, actually, and I was wondering whether I should apply for business jobs or a law firm job or hang a shingle again. Um, And then we heard that our favorite granola was shutting down. Uh, So this is Outer Banks granola. My wife's parents live at the coast of North Carolina. And every time we would go down there, we would eat this amazing granola is the Outer
0: Banks the name of the region the beach what is the
1: yes so it's the barrier islands um along the coast of of North Carolina you know all the way up to Virginia where sort of nags head and and duck um all those barrier islands all the way down to where where my in-laws live which is really the crystal coast uh Beaufort Moorhead City area right at the uh the end of Cape Lookout, which is sort of the, the southern tip of the Outer Banks. And, and we love this granola. I'm not much of a foodie, but the first time I had this, I was like, wow, that's, this is different. This
0: is something that, that I've never had before. And was it for sale? You heard, you heard that it was going to be coming available? or
1: We didn't know. Uh, we, we just sort of reached out out of the blue um, through a friend of, of my mother-in-law. And didn't know the people. Didn't know the people we were we were just customers you know <laughs> i'm not only the hair code president i'm also the a client, the client. Um, so yeah we reached out and and uh kind of thought we wouldn't hear back from them they they had some other people interested and uh, a couple weeks later they called again and uh sort of gave us the asking price and we're like this is something we can we can work with and you know we negotiated a little bit like you said being a lawyer coming from law school you know you have have some of those skills to be able to work something out um, and we, we worked out a deal
0: and and, you, you and here go, we are. You, you're all in and you know, you, you, you when, when you get your mind on something, you don't let it go. I mean, I remember in law school, like spider solitaire, remember that came out and I'm like, dude, it's, what are you doing? He's like, Oh, I'm going to beat this spider solitaire. So when you, when you yeah. get locked in on something like you're going and yeah. I knew when you said this is it, like you were going to do some great things with it. So like, what was day one? Like when you're like, okay, now we got it now, what are we going to do?
1: Sure. So we, we did not. We were not selling granola on day one. Um, in fact, we, we really didn't buy the business. We bought the, the recipes. We bought the online presence. We bought the trademarks.
0: But other than that, we were basically starting from scratch. Is there a vault like Coca-Cola where you keep the recipe and all that stuff in? Uh, yes.
1: To be honest, yeah. I do, do keep a very, very tight, uh, tight lock and key on that. Um, but yeah, so we, we knew obviously we don't live at the coast. One of the reasons they were shutting down was they had had some hurricane damage and they were also at about a, a life transition. She was about to become a grandma for the first time and they were moving to Raleigh. And so we, we knew we wanted to move it inland to avoid any hurricane damage in the future and also be closer to where we live. Um, so day one was really, where, where are we going to do this? So starting pounding the pavement, making calls,
0: figuring where, out. Where is in like, how are we going to bake this? How are we going to get this product available. Every bit of that.
1: So what, what location are we going to put this in? I needed to buy ovens. I needed to buy, you know, tables, dishes, you know, everything we We bought zero equipment from, from the prior owners. Um, and, and that took some time. I, I talked to a lot of, you know, small food business owners, got a lot of great advice. I was pretty amazed, pleasantly surprised by how helpful they were. Uh, to offer advice about pitfalls they faced, mistakes they made,
0: things to avoid. And this is even kind of before social media was as big as it is now in terms of like online. Well, you, there's online stuff, but I feel like all the Facebook groups, community groups are even bigger now where you can find all this stuff. Or yeah. or, or did you utilize that to make connections?
1: Yes, uh definitely and, and um and just some other connections too. Like we we were very good friends with the the company, the family that makes Chapel Hill Toffee, which is um, you know, obviously a local product. Um, They had started in their garage uh, and expanded to, you know, a bigger factory setting and, you know, trying to figure out how they made their expansion. Um, If we could follow their playbook, basically we would be in real good shape. They had gotten into Whole Foods before Amazon got involved with it. and It's a lot harder to get into Whole Foods these days. We're actually still very small, still making sure that we, you know, we stay consistent with the quality that we had before, um, but we're ready to grow. Uh,
0: so what was that feeling like when that first order came in and you got your bag, you got your packaging, you got your, you know, your granola, and it goes out the door?
1: Well, to put it in context, that happened on March 12th of 2020, which, if you recall, March 13th was pretty much the, day, day. the day the world <laughs> shut down. That Friday the 13th, uh, Governor Cooper in North Carolina shut down the state and... Um, you know, we, we certainly we had pretty modest goals for that first year. Like I said, wanted to make sure we could replicate the quality from the prior owner, wanted to make sure there was a demand for it, Wanted to make sure I, I knew I could I could, you could produce do it. it. Yeah. Um, I'm not a cook. I'm like I said, I'm not a foodie. I can make grilled cheese, and gourmet granola.
0: <laughs> but you can't make, you can't make a Totino's T- pizza very good. I no. can promise you that. <laughs> that that's, that's one thing you're not very good at. I, I can turn a Totino's pizza into a hockey puck. And then you, you can wake right. up the next morning, there's a bite out of said hockey puck, which that still floors me. That's another story for another day. <laughs> Stick to granola, no more pizzas.
1: Yeah, so, so the prior owner did stay involved. She, she trained me how to bake it. And um, you know, thankfully, I can follow a recipe pretty well.
0: So are you actually the one that's doing the baking?
1: For the first year and a half, uh, yes, I did basically everything involved with it. One, because it was the pandemic, we didn't we didn't really want anybody depending on us for money if you know if it was going to fizzle out pretty quickly. Um, and also, I was renting time in a restaurant that was closed for a few days a week, and I didn't want to bring in an employee that I didn't have control over, you know, outside of the bakery. Who might, you know, bring in the virus and make that restaurant have to shut down? Um, so we we kept our goals pretty much the same because it was already gathering steam, and we were making sales, and we were getting people coming to us uh, and, and, to carry it.
0: And y'all were pretty nimble in the sense that y'all didn't have a brick and mortar shop, right? right. And so so the 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 online was you know going to be y'all's main distribution channel, right? Sure, for
1: direct to consumer, but we the prior owners also had uh, about fifteen retailers who okay. were already. Selling I know that's it.
0: what you're you're getting to, but in the beginning, um, I I was just thinking that maybe you know COVID, you know, allowed you to do you know focus more on that because that's what the whole world was going to.
1: Yes, I mean we. You're right. We did not have a storefront. I don't think we ever will. I, mean, I don't think anybody's going to go to a store just for granola. Um, you know, we, we might have a store that carries other. You know, especially foods, but you know we don't we don't want to staff a storefront, don't want to pay retail uh, rents. Um, that's one of the best advice I got early on was in the food business. As you're starting out, you need to pinch every penny, and we've we've definitely done that. Um, we, like I said, had modest goals, but the demand has been organic we've had a lot of stores come to us from word of mouth wanting to carry it hotels hotels that's right yeah, we,
0: give a few success stories man
1: yeah so we we got a uh, an email from the ritz carlton in charlotte uh saying we're interested in your granola and i thought somebody was punking me i thought it was you know somebody like josh had you know falsified an email spoofed an email address and sent it to me but uh no they they wanted the granola and we we created a special size just for them and we're we're in every room in the minibar right now.
0: So that's where y'all are. so Ritz-Carlton Charlotte minibars got your product in there. And it's, and do you think that it's going to be able to, something that Ritz-Carlton's going to spread through the other spots?
1: I don't know. I mean maybe some other in in North Carolina. That was kind of their idea. They wanted local products in their their minibar. Um, you know, Outer Banks isn't super local to Charlotte anyway, but it's North Carolina product. Um, and so, yeah, we, we, we are in a lot of, of kind of higher end specialty stores, boutiques, not necessarily food stores. Um, one of our best, uh, retailers is a place called Beaufort Linen Company that has linens and housewares and uh, another place called, uh, Jenny Gordon's that has a lot of housewares and things like that. Um, but we're also in some, you know, smaller food places, Island Produce in, in Moorhead City is a great retailer of ours. Um. Anytime we've gone on vacation, I've kind of taken some samples with me. Just you know, heck yeah, drop got, it
0: off somewhere. Always and got it. I mean, what I've always what I've always thought is, if you can get this in front of somebody, have them taste it, then you're good. That's right. Like that. Like they just have to experience it and try it. Because I know this sounds like we're, we're overselling this, but it's damn good granola. <laughs> it really is. Yes. If you can just get people exposed to it,
1: um, they're gonna like it. That's right. And that's that was one of the reasons we were willing to take the plunge because we knew it was a good product. We knew it was different. We knew we knew it could sell itself, just like you're saying.
0: So then what's the plan on scaling? So we need to
1: uh, mechanize a few processes. We right now we do everything by hand. We we chop every nut by hand. We we you know, fill every bag and seal every bag by hand. So, you know, we if we can mechanize, it will always be small batch, it will always be handmade, hand mixed. You know, it's it's very sensitive on when it's actually fully cooked, so getting a machine to do that is probably not the best. But we can we can mechanize a few things to scale up. You know, obviously hire more people now that the pandemic is over and gone. Get more space, get Y'all more got ovens. New
0: space recently, right? Yes.
1: Yeah, so we we have moved uh, to downtown Franklin Street uh, in Chapel Hill, which is for a lot of your listeners are are Georgia fans. That's basically their Broad Street. Um, we have the kitchen in the back of what was a closed storefront, um, but now uh, a very old restaurant called Carolina Coffee Shop, and we're in the kitchen in the back of that. And they are they have us uh, out front, you know, cool. to, to buy. So
0: that's awesome. And I—I I, I always enjoy y'all's social media game. Y'all's uh, y'all do a good job with Instagram. This the OBX hat will appear in like the greatest of places, right? Our friends they're at the lake or they're skiing, they'll they'll drop the hat in a in a beautiful setting. And then y'all do a great job pumping it out. Yes,
1: you know it. It is. It's it's free advertising. You have to you know, do it. It's it's really nice. And I can't take credit for a lot of the the better social media posts. That's uh, again the lovely and talented Taylor, who who's our social media manager, um, in in her free time I was from, about her, to say, from her from her free time in her full time job. job. Thankfully, that and that's another thing. Uh, you know, I know we wanted to talk some about you know leaving the law um, and jumping into something. You know, thankfully she has as you know, be, be stayed as the main breadwinner, um, and, you know, allowed us to keep the lights on in the house while we're growing this and, you know, roll all the, the profits back into
0: growth. So was it hard to leave the law? I don't think I've ever point blank asked you that.
1: No, <laughs> is is the, is the bottom line answer. I mean, I, I definitely had an interesting career. I, I had a lot of, a lot of good clients that I was able to help. Um, but I was not happy as a lawyer. Uh, and I think there's a lot of lawyers out there who aren't, um, you know, listening to your your podcast. I think a lot of the folks in your field, uh, personal injury law on the plaintiff side particularly, are happy doing it. Um, you are able to to you know, help out a lot of folks who are hurt, harmed and get them you know, some compensation. Um, it's a lot different in North Carolina. The insurance lobby there is is a lot stronger. Uh, it's kind of hard to get uh, injured people. Uh, fully compensated for what they're entitled to. Um, but, uh, you know, as a litigator, a lot of times, um, you know, people come to you when they're in crisis. They, it's always they, a problem. They mm-hmm. come to you with their biggest problem and, and expect you to magically solve it when in reality, in most cases, the only way they're resolved is if both sides are unhappy, if they take some compromise in the middle. That's right. Um, and so you know, I understand why there are lawyer jokes. I understand why a lot of people don't like lawyers. Um, it just wasn't for me. And, and I've really, it took me, you know, 40 years to realize I'm better off on my feet, working with my hands and, and creating a product.
0: Well, I mean, you made the decision, you know, 10 years, you know, 10, 15 years in some people, you know, they, they just waste away their whole life and they never enjoy, whether it's a law job or another job, they're 60 years old and they're like, I just didn't really like doing that. You, you kind of were at that crossroads and you made the decision like not now, maybe never. And now you're happy as can be. So your, your worst day as a granola, you know, Baker is better than your best day as a lawyer. Is that, is that right? Or maybe that's a little bit of yeah. a stretch.
1: Yes. I've, I've said that I know before. Said that I've before. said that to you before. I mean, yes, that's a stretch. I mean, I had some, some great w- trial wins and those were, you know, fantastic days, better than my worst day as a Baker, you know, Baking granola the way we do, which is really different from anybody else, that's why it's a different product. Um, it's it's actually very labor intensive. It's it's hard hard work. Uh, I'm very tired at the end of the day. Um, a different kind of tired than any day I had as a lawyer. You know, yes, you can be exhausted from you know slaving over a desk and you know writing briefs or whatnot, but this is is a more like physical body, bodily fatigue.
0: You have a motor that has to be fed. Like your motors, it's always running. So it makes more sense to me for this is how you spend your days. So well, keep doing it. I love it. Uh, I love everything about it. I love that we did a, a sponsorship together at a tailgate up in Indianapolis. That was really cool.
1: Yeah, it was fantastic. Uh, shout out to the Icon Source folks. Um, Paystead, who's... Reese's company. Who's a, a good friend of ours, uh, also from Walton. And, and Drew Butler and... And those guys uh, put together an awesome tailgate before the national championship. And, man, we, we were happy to be a part of it and give away some granola.
0: I loved how you packaged all the little granolas. You had them all over the – in their bus and all around. And people were just crushing granola. We had kegs of beer. Um, what a fun day that was. And in the game, uh, we could talk about that for the full hour. Um, uh, we were both there. We didn't sit together. Um, tell, me, tell about your experience at the game. Yeah, so... I mean, you're a huge uh, Georgia fan, obviously. You went there. We're all huge fans. Yes.
1: And, you know, long-suffering Georgia fan. I was I was in Mercedes-Benz uh, in, in January of 18 when, uh, you know, the overtime uh, defeat happened. And, you know, w- we were all worried, is this going to be another, another heart-wrenching, you know, gut punch of a loss? Um, but I, I don't know. I just had a different feeling this year. I, and that tailgate... You know, you talked about all the connections made at Georgia. So many of my old friends that I hadn't seen in 15, 20 years gravitated to that tailgate. And we had an awesome time. You were the mayor up. of
0: Indianapolis that day.
1: <laughs> it, was, it was really special. And so even like, before like the your bar game. mitzvah party. <laughs> yes. We should have put you in a chair. And, you know. Yes. Yes. I'm, uh, I'm ready for it. Yeah, I, we I went
0: to a lot, of, a lot of bar mitzvahs. You did. You did. You might know more Hebrew than I do now. <laughs> Baru Kata. All right. There you go. Um,
1: no, I yes, I'm an honorary I'm an honorary Jew. Um, but yeah, so even before the game happened, it was one of my favorite days of, of recent memory, just being able to catch up with so many people and and then of course, you know, the game was exciting, it was close, it was ups and downs, lead changes, and then, you know, as dramatic and exciting a ending as it could possibly be.
0: I want to stop you right there because you know a couple you know, while back we did a podcast about the recap of the game and you called me and you're like I agree with y'all's recap I like it but I've got a few different thoughts as only you can have right <laughs> like you're looking like deeper into all the all you know, the the analytics and what happened I'm like all right man let me what do we miss so tell us kind of what jumped out to you
1: yeah so I, I wanted to point out uh, some unsung heroes of the game the so unsung
0: I'm, heroes and that championship game here we go so
1: you know folks who like I said earlier, football is an ultimate team game. It doesn't happen unless a lot of people are doing their job. Maybe, you know, some people might be able to take a playoff here and there. But if everybody is doing their job, and that's obviously, that's, that's a, a Kirby, uh, you know, tenet. Everybody do your job and th- good things are going to happen. And one guy I wanted to talk about is William Poole. William Poole. 31, defensive back. Uh, kind of been maligned over his career. This was actually his fifth year at Georgia. Um, he, he was one of the only guys who was there for the defeat in the national championship the last time we were there. Um, didn't get a whole lot of playing time over the year. He was a pretty highly recruited guy. Um, but he, he's only had three starts in his career. Middle Tennessee State a couple years ago, and then Alabama National Championship and, and the SEC Championship What number this year. is he?
0: 31. 31, Yeah, well, so people can picture him out on the field.
1: Yeah, and I remember after the national, cha- or after the SEC championship, our friends were dogging him out. Why is he starting? Why he he was terrible. Well, he really stepped up in the national championship game. He had four tackles, two pass breakups, one of which was he, he got hit in the back because he was a little bit beat. But you know, the Heisman Trophy winner hit him in the back, um, and he had two interceptions. Now you might say, wait a minute, Tom. There were only two interceptions in the game. I saw one of those Keely Ringo
0: running it all the way I back. I was going to ask you that, but I knew you had and, a, a, an answer for your and, question.
1: And Chris, Chris Smith had had the other one. Well, if you really watch the tape, and you know, as as a Georgia fan, I've watched the tape many times since it's happened. We're still national championship. We're still national champions every time I watch it. Which Forever, is, which is great. Um, but there are, there are so many different angles and views that that ESPN allowed you to watch after. And one of them was the all twenty two view. So it's. Very wide lens. You can see all 22 players on the field at the same time. If you watch William Poole on the first interception, Christopher Smith's, the only reason that happened was because he disrupted the route of the intended receiver. He was able to get in front of him, basically feel where he was going, cut off the route, and so by the time Chris Smith caught it, there was no Alabama player in the,
0: in the frame. There you go, the unsung hero that's doing the dirty work that leads to the guy that makes the interception, and, and you picked it out breaking down the film.
1: And the same thing happened on the Kelly Ringo interception. He also broke off the route of what I think is the actual intended receiver. People say he he it might have been underthrown and was thrown to the the long you know the deep man. I think he was thrown to the underneath
0: man, who had been cut off by William Poole. What's the what's your favorite version of the Kelly Ringo play on Twitter? Oh, gosh. The, because I've watched them all. I've watched oh, cool. every single one of them. Oh my gosh. The, the one that
1: intersperses so many different reactions, and then right before, it, when he goes up, it flashes to 2018. That one's awesome. It flashes to 2012. It flashes to all these heartbreaks we've had leading up to this game. And you know those are all in black and white, and then Keeley grabs the ball and it flashes back in color.
0: That and, that one that one's was amazing. Gives me chills every time. I think that was like almost like 15 17 minutes long. It's which really. is incredible to take a, and by god, I wish it was another 20 minutes. I'd have kept watching it. Yeah, you know, I've rewatched it yeah. a few times. Absolutely. Um now the other the other uh difference maker you had in the game was Jake Kamada. Jake Kamada the punter gets a shout the out. The
1: punter. You know, we were with Drew Butler at the tailgate that whole day, you know, Ray Guy winner, punter. Maybe that was in my mind. But Jay Kamarta, not only punter, but also the kickoff man. Big part of the team. So he, Jay Camarda had 11 kicks of the day. He had six kickoffs and five punts. Give me your guess. How many return yards did he have over those 11 kicks?
0: Well, because, the, because you're presenting it as you are, it's going to be a small number, I'm guessing. Give, um, give me your number. So are you averaging or Total. Total. 11 kicks, maybe they returned one or two from on a kickoff, get 20 yards. I'd say he had 55 yards. Negative two. Negative. So I was off by a little bit. Negative they two. They no return yards at all, not, the, not even on one kickoff. If you look at the box score,
1: it says 24 yards, kick return yardage. But the reason is the guy fair caught it at the one yard line on a kickoff which brings it out as a 25,
0: which is really a touchback. So you're doing your own math here.
1: Yeah. Well, it's different from the box score, but it's the truth. That's a touchback. And all six of his kickoffs were touchbacks. All five of his punts were either not returned or lost yardage, the two yards. And two of them, we're pinned down inside the 10.
0: Special teams, baby. I mean, it's, it's as big as it comes. And, and you just, you just you know, pointed out why it's so important. And he made the field goals, too. Yeah. Um, awesome. So one thing we, we did talk about. Well,
1: I'll stop you there. He did not make the field goals. That, that was Pudlesny, but. <laughs> okay, we can, we can, up, edit, we can edit that out. Yeah. I don't
0: know what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, um, but I appreciate you keeping me honest with that. Um, the one thing that we also talked about before this was all the people that came back, all the seniors that came back. And just how how that you know paid off dividends not only for Georgia the team but for them personally they, we just had combine day where Georgia just blew it up so what was your kind of impression um, of how that worked out for everybody
1: yeah I mean think about it I I think this this in addition to the tremendous recruiting that Kirby does you know I, I think a big difference between him and Coach Richt is this culture of Let's do it again. Let's run it back. You know, let's come back for another year. I don't remember that happening under Rick. I remember a lot of guys who I was surprised that they declared for the draft and maybe went undrafted or they went in a very late round and had, a you know, not, not a very good NFL career because they came out early. But last year, I mean, these guys who came back, Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt, Jamari Salyer, Jordan Schaefer, James Cook, they, they were going to be high picks last year. And all five of those guys improved their draft status, and they
0: got a ring for coming back. And it teaches the young guys, like, this is the path.
1: Yeah, right? yeah, and, and, and it's, you know, it, it happened. There's guys coming back that could have come out this year. Nolan Smith, I think, is probably the top of that list. I think he's going to be a big leader coming back. Um, and You know, all the Smith boys. Christopher Smith is coming back, too. Tyke Smith. Uh, Robert Beal is coming back. Kiaris Jackson. You go down the list, these guys are, are going to be leaders – and they're going to be able to, you know, lead some of these young guys who are coming in, who I think a lot of these freshmen coming in are going to get a lot of playing time. And they're going to be able to tell them, look, guys, this, it happens from hard work. It happens from commitment. And, you know, if we all if we all do this, we all, you know, grab an oar and we're all pulling in the same direction, we can get another ring.
0: You sound just like Kirby.
1: <laughs> well, it's exciting. You know, that's, you know, I... When I was in high school, I, I used to joke that I'm I'm going to have a lot of careers, and one of them I wanted to be was a, a football coach. There's still time. Yeah, you know, I certainly, if, if my kids are allowed to put on a helmet, I'm definitely going to be a, their coach.
0: Well, you know, these guys you just mentioned, you know, George is going to have probably at least four first-round draft picks, all guys that maybe could have left last year, you know, and they did nothing but blow up the combine with these just crazy 40 times and these crazy stats, so good for them. Um, before we're done – um, I want to talk a little bit about UNC basketball because that's your new thing, you know. Since moving to Chapel Hill, you've adopted the Tar Heels. Y'all had a big win against Duke, uh, put Shashovsky out of his was it misery? Is that the right word? What oh, do you say?
1: He is a miserable person. So yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, and you,
0: and you guys had a um, you had an awesome event for that game. So talk a little bit about living in Chapel Hill. You know, it's a very similar town than Athens, as you described to me. Like what basketball means up there.
1: Sure. So you know. Um, we, we joke about Auburn is now a basketball school. And a lot of times we talk about, you know, why can't, why can't Georgia be better at basketball? Um, it's sort of the reverse of that at North Carolina. Right? They've always been good at basketball. And the question is, why can't their football team be better? Um, but for me, so I can I can – do Georgia football in the fall. And then as the winter and, and spring turn around, it's, it's all UNC basketball. You got basketball. the best of both
0: worlds. So, yeah.
1: And you know, we, we, uh, we certainly love living in Chapel Hill. Great place to raise a family. It's a lot like Athens, uh, a little bit safer, a little cleaner. Um, maybe doesn't smell like vomit on a su- Sunday morning. Um, I'm saying Athens does. <laughs> I, I've been there a few times. Um, but yeah, it, we can walk to the Dean Dome from my house. It's pretty amazing. Uh, being able to have that kind of world-class basketball. And, and I appreciate you mentioning the uh, event we had. So um, I won't talk too much about it, but we had uh, a very good friend who who was injured uh, in a car accident and uh, actually came to Atlanta for uh, his rehab. And it kind of put a, a spotlight on a, a gap in coverage uh, or, or health care in North Carolina. We live you know, UNC has certainly wonderful medical facilities. We live eight miles from Duke, which also has fantastic medical facilities. They did not have a comprehensive pediatric rehabilitation program. So the closest, well, he, they, he could have gotten into Charlotte, but there were no beds. They have one in Charlotte, I should say. He couldn't get into it. He was lucky to get a bed in Atlanta. And uh, Mac Brown, football coach, uh, is actually friends with the, the grandparents of the child who's injured, um, heard about this and said, this is, this is unacceptable. Came to UNC Children's Hospital with some seed money and said, we're going we're gonna to make this happen. And uh, the family, uh, our family, and, and a lot of the other folks in our community came together and said, all right, well, we're going to support this with an event. Um, it happened to be the Duke Carolina game, uh, which was actually the, the one-year anniversary of, of the collision
0: I didn't know that was it right at one year, like the day or just the right
1: day. Oh, yeah. Wow, that's crazy! Um, and uh, so we we rented out the um kind of the club level of Keenan Stadium, sort of the inside lounge of that. TVs all over the place. We brought in other big screens to watch uh, UNC Duke. Based on the the game a month ago uh, where Duke blew out Carolina at the Dean Dome, we didn't think it was going to be much of a game. Um, but we were still, you know, raising a lot of money, um, and yeah god love them. the team well, came through the,
0: the the video you sent uh was it connor that took the video it was or, thomas it was th- okay you're 12 one. year old yeah. Your 12 year old uh you know the the, the 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 cell phone video capturing in real time is awesome and uh he had your phone or yep. maybe it was his i don't know was it your no, phone, it's his, my phone your okay. phone and and he got the whole place going nuts uh priceless it was
1: it was really a special night that you know there was there was magic in the air um from the community coming together we when we when we decided to do this event, uh, we had we set a goal of we're going to have 200 people and maybe we'll raise twenty five thousand dollars. Well, eventually we had 800 people there and we raised
0: over two hundred thousand. That's amazing. So, That's absolutely amazing. Yeah, That's it's good for y'all. You know, is there still places people can contribute if they want?
1: Yes, yes. Uh, we can put it in. The, so you can go to uh org slash slash Fitch Rehab, F-I-T-C-H-R-E-H-A-B. So that's UNC Health Foundation. So that's the HF.org slash Fitch
0: Rehab. We'll pop it in the comment section. That's awesome. Good, good for y'all. Um, and, and I'm glad that the, he's doing better, right? Yeah, he's
1: doing okay. I mean, he's, he's certainly, um, he's alive, which is a miracle. When I say better, he's, he's getting better.
0: Yes, yes, that's definitely true. Okay, good. Well, we'll, we'll all be keeping our, our thoughts and prayers with him and his family. And, and again, keep doing those good things. That, that's awesome. So look, we're about we're wrapped out of time. Um, i will do this a lot longer. This time is about too fast. It's a lot of fun. Um, let's, let's just make sure everybody knows how to find this granola, where they can find you online, follow you on all your great social media sites and all that good stuff. Sure,
1: so our website is outerbanksgranola.com. Uh you can shorten it to obxgranola.com. We will ship all over the country. Uh if you buy more than fifty dollars, we'll ship it for free. Um you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram and uh Give us a try, like I said.
0: I'll let it speak for itself. It's and this this coupon code that I've been neglecting, remind everybody what they need to be putting in.
1: Well, you can still use SNT 10 for 10% off, but for a limited time, we've got Stein 20.
0: Stein S- 20. All right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna be using it. So uh John Crysadora, didn't he order some some, some he did. from you? He did. Yeah, guess we had on a while back. Uh you did some some investigative work, found he was Y'all might remember he was the deputy sparks in general hospital and, and Tom got that in his brain to go, go down. I don't even know what rabbit hole you went down. You know, his wife had never seen that clip. That's amazing. And, and so, you know, you, uh, you found it and now we, in my phone, he's now deputy sparks with that picture that comes up.
1: That's another one of my careers is I'm, I'm an armchair private detective. So I like PI L- L- like
0: L- a- we call <laughs> you. That's right. Um, well, I, I tease that you can sing Tone Loke. Your you, you, you mind? Uh, well,
1: you know, you mentioned that the real, the, my real go-to karaoke is Young MC, not Tone Loke.
0: <sighs> not Tone low, Tone low. So now now you just... Compl- I thought it was Tone low, I thought it was Funky Cole Medina.
1: Well, I can do Funky Cole Medina. I, I mean, I guess I can do Funky Col Medina,
0: but my you know, my go-to is bust a, bust a Move. Bust a Move? I don't know how I messed that up. We haven't had enough karaoke bars recently. Well, let's get a little Bust a Move. Can you don't do get for a little us? Bust a Move? Can you do All it right. for
1: us? Yeah, I think we can do some Bust a Move. Um We'll do, we'll do one of the later verses. Okay, you? do it. Your best friend Harry has a brother Larry. In five days from now, he's going to marry. He's hoping you can make it there if you can, because in the ceremony, you'll be the best man. You say, Nito, check your libido and roll to the church in your new
0: tuxedo. The bride walks down to start the wedding. There's one more girl you won't be getting. Amazing. And you did that. I did not prompt you on that. That is straight from, from that brain of yours. that just has that completely downloaded forever. Uh, great annotation. That was good, man. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, I'm, I got I'm, it. I got it going. I am uh I am beyond embarrassed I messed that up. I thought it was funky
1: cold medina. Can you do a little funky cold medina real quick? Yeah, we can do some funky cold medina. Um what's the one uh She said, "Hi, my name is Sheena." I thought she'd be good to go with a little funky cold medina.
0: <laughs> You're such a good sport, man. Thank you. So, what that shows is, you know, I I was going to finish this podcast by saying you know, we've come a long way from, from terrorizing the streets of Yuskab. Now, we're both small business owners. We're, we're talking about business on you know this podcast. But all things can always go back to rapping, Tone Loke, you know, and fucking call Medina Young MC. So maybe we haven't changed too much.
1: That Young MC uh, Stone Cold Ryman tape was on loop with Jason Mullen uh, when I, we were, I think, nine or 10 years old going to Disney world in that,
0: that Brown Astro van, the Brown, the, the Brown van. Well, we'll get him on here soon. He's going to be singing too. So, uh, Tom, thank you, my friend. I'm so glad that we were able to make this work when you were able to come to town, because this would not have been the same doing it virtually. So
1: absolutely. And, and I, and thank you for being a good sport with my, my joking and joshing at the beginning. Oh,
0: very good. So, uh, I'm told that I'm not very good at what they call call to actions at the end of these things. Um, telling people what it is that I would, you know, they need to be doing. Um, so, My call to action, I'm going to try this, is they need to go visit your website and purchase some granola, and they need to go and, I think it's called rate my show, and subscribe and tell a friend. So I'm I'm trying to do better these call to actions. Uh, Anyway, thanks everybody for listening. Appreciate you guys. Until next time, keep chopping.